my favorite things to do at your hotel is to sit in that breakfast room with the big windows and watch the king's horses as they're now called. It's quite a magnificent, a very unique thing about London and about your hotel. Hello, my name is Renee Leith Manos. Welcome to this podcast, Where To From Here? Featuring conversations about luxury travel and how it's changing in every pocket of the globe. So today I'm with Torsten van Dalyman sitting in London at one of my favourite hotels, the Mandarin Oriental in Knightsbridge. He is the Group Head of Sustainability, the VP of Operations, the general manager of the Mandarin Oriental, and he's even a member of Mensa. So welcome, Torsten. It's fantastic to have you on the show. <laughs> yeah, we can only go downhill after this, right? That's right. That's right. But look, you're sitting there having your morning coffee at the Mandarin Oriental in Knightsbridge. You have a long personal history um, with this hotel because I believe you started there as a management trainee. Is that right? Yeah, in 1989, actually, it was, um, it was not even a management training. It was an industrial release um, when this hotel was still part of the uh, Trust House Water Group. And uh, it was six months. Um, I was a room service night waiter, a housekeeping porter, and, um, and a, a night receptionist, I think, two months uh, rotation for each position. So, yeah, that's some uh, 33 years ago. That I first and, walked for you. and you came back in, didn't you, to do F&B at some point as well? Uh, this is actually my fifth time here. So I came back in 1990, uh, a year later, to do a summer job um, as the assistant chief steward. Uh, and met my wife here, actually, uh, who was here to learn English. She's Italian. Um, you hang on, was, she, was, she, was your wife working there when you met her there? or In, um, in room service. And oh. so uh, as the assistant chief steward, I was continuously racing around the back of the house, stocking up, you know, departments and um, bumped into her the first day I arrived. Yeah. And, and then I came back in 1996 as the uh, food and beverage manager um, and returned again in 2004 as the hotel manager. Uh, and then last year, obviously, in my, in my present role. So it's, um, yeah, hopefully it's the last time. You know, and what I, keeps what keeps drawing you back to that hotel? My favorite hotel, um, by far. I think uh, London is my favorite city. Um, I I've had the privilege of, you know, traveling around uh, quite a bit with the group, um, and London keeps staring at my heart. It's just I feel at home here, um, and the hotel is my favorite hotel in the group. Always has been. Um, it's so mine I too. Think, it's mine too. Yeah. It was also known by the group, I think. They, um, as I said, they moved me around a bit uh, over various continents. I think I moved 11, 12, 13 times in total. Um, and uh, when this came available in the current role, I think they must maybe felt a little bit sorry for me, you know, moved me around so much. And they said, look, you know, do you want to come back? And um, I, I obviously did a hands off. Well, one of my favourite things to do at your hotel is to sit in that breakfast room with the big windows and watch the king's horses, as they're, as they're now called, um, yes. go past. It's, it's quite a magnificent, a very unique um, thing about London and about your hotel. What's one of your favourite things about it? Well, first of all, um, 
the, the, the scene that you just described. And, and what makes it, I think, even more special is that uh, there's no cars allowed behind the hotel. So we're, we're the only five-star deluxe hotel, or the only hotel in London, um, which gives directly on the park with no cars. When you, when you sit there or you're staying in one of our streets and you open the doors in the morning onto your balcony, all you really hear is the sound of birds, um, horses coming past, and the occasional jogger. So it, it makes it really special because the other side of the hotel, on Knightsbridge, Knightsbridge has to be one of the busiest streets uh, in this part of London. So you've got this really strange experience where you come off a very, very busy street, you walk into the hotel, and the further you go into the hotel, the more peaceful it becomes. And eventually, um, when you get out on the other side for you know breakfast on the terrace or drinks in the evening, you've got this magnificent park. Um, so that has to be one of my, my favorite parts of the hotel. The other part, I suppose, is I always compare it a little bit with a, an art gallery. Uh, it's a, um, the building is, is well over 100 years old. And uh, a lot of the features are still original. The marble staircase when you come in, the marble walls. Um, but the nice thing about it is that there are so many little rooms and nooks and crannies. And every part of the hotel has its own distinctive character. And I always compare it with an art gallery because you, you, know, you turn left, you see the Dutch masters. You turn right and you walk straight into the Italian Renaissance. You go straight and it's something else altogether. And that whole experience, it shouldn't, but somehow it also makes sense. That's the, the thing about it. Um, we have three restaurants and two bars, and they couldn't be more different. Um, but somehow it all fits together. Well, I read that food and beverage has been a really big part of your career sort of path and your rise. How much are you involved with the F&B beverages now? Um, Outlets. I, I try... Not too much because I know how it felt when I was the food and beverage manager, uh, and my general manager stuck his nose in, and uh, <laughs> so I try and, and resist it as much as possible. I also believe that um, I, I like to give the managers the opportunity to run the, the outlets and the divisions as if it's theirs. You know, I, I like people to be very entrepreneurial, um, and the only way to do that really is to to give them very clear guidance, what the kind of the, the end goal is, where, where we would like them to go, but then allow them to find their own way towards the goal, if you will. You know, I think uh, part of the reason why I've stayed with Minden Oriental um, for my entire career is that whilst when you walk in any Minden Oriental hotel in the world, I think it's it's immediately clear it's a Minden Oriental, but at the same time, um, each hotel also has their own distinctive feel. And that's because they allow us um, probably more f freedom and flexibility than most international hotel chains would in the way we work and the way we, we interpret the brand and, and deliver the service. How does the how do the Asian routes affect like you know a hotel that's in you know central London, in Knightsbridge like like you are? Is there a lot of that in the hotel? Um I think hospitality in general, um, I've, I've spent 17 years of my career in Asia and um, it's, it's something that comes very naturally, you know, to almost any culture in Asia. I, I've had the privilege of living and working in, in Hong Kong, in Thailand, in the Philippines and in India. And what you realize very quickly is that people naturally 
um, are very service orientated. You know, it's a very honorable thing, I think, for someone in that culture to be of service and to to do something meaningful for someone else. Um, and it was not, I think, until Mandarin Orientals started leaving Asia and started opening hotels elsewhere in the world that they realized that something that came incredibly naturally um, in that state Oriental Bangkok or the Mandarin Oriental in Hong Kong um, didn't necessarily um, come so naturally elsewhere in the world. And that's when uh, the group started looking at what is it? What, what, what makes the whole experience in Asia so, so special? And they realized that there were a number of things from the welcome um, that you know uh, people provide uh, yeah. to anticipating your needs um, through you know the very unobtrusive way I suppose of being there when you need to but not being there when when you don't need to. And we designed or the group designed what we call our pillars and our LQEs, which are legendary quality experiences, and try to embed them in the hotels um, that we were building and, and, and opening outside of Asia. The important thing, I think, however, is that, you know, we also need to realize that when we're in America, when we're in Europe, when we're in the Middle East, we're not in Asia. And that it, it doesn't overtake um, the service culture of, of the country, the city that, that we're in. So I think whilst there, there are elements of the Oriental heritage that you find in any many Oriental hotel, we also try and make sure that it really feels that it belongs in, let's say, London or Paris or yeah. Milan. And trying to find that balance, I think, is something that, that the group has been very good at um, and, and continues to be very good at as we're starting to open in other parts of the world. Yeah, absolutely. But I have to say that your hotel, to me, almost feels like the epicenter of London, well, certainly of Knightsbridge area. You know, it feels very English in, in a wonderful way. And that's one of the reasons that I and several of my friends really do, you know, really love it. But I wanted to ask you, is your wife still working with you? And how often do general managers get together with, you know, someone at the hotel? I've never heard of that. And all the people I've um, interviewed so far. Uh, well, luckily I wasn't a general manager then. Uh, <laughs> I was... Um... But uh, no, she. Um, we've got two wonderful children, two wonderful daughters. Uh, they are now twenty and eighteen. Right. Uh, and um, we 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 left London pretty soon after we had after we had a second child. So we left London in two thousand and four or two thousand and seven, which actually was nineteen years. Um, so we met. No, sorry, twelve years after we first met, and. Um, and so I've had the privilege of, of traveling to India, to Bangkok, Chiang Mai, the Philippines, Hong Kong, the United States, with, with my family, with my wife and, and, and kids. Um, and so she really uh, needed to look after um, my daughters, because when we first left, left the UK to go to India, they were only four and two and a half years old. Um, but the nice thing, I think, uh, particularly in Asia, if you're a general manager, most of the time you actually live in the hotel. So yeah. although she worked in the hotel, you know, we spend most of our time in the hotel and, and my daughters grew up in the hotel. So she she understands, she understands the hours, she understands the stories sometimes I come home with, uh, she understands the requirements. Um, and I think it's, um, it's kind of, you know, made it a lot easier for her to um, be married to a general manager and kind of sure. live the life general manager's wife, which, which is not but, always easy. 
living in a hotel, living in a five-star hotel permanently, I mean, surely that is the dream, or is it? Um, I think, well, for, for us it was, because it allowed me to um, have lunch and dinner uh, with the family. Uh, it allowed, you know, it's called traveling time, so I was able to, um, you know, let, let's say, for example, if we would have uh, a VIP arriving in Bangkok at 11 o'clock at night, I didn't need to stay in the hotel until 11 o'clock. I could go home at 6, six o'clock in the evening, uh, have dinner, put the kids to bed, uh, spend some time with my wife, and then go back down, meet and greet, and, and, and come back home. So okay. it has a lot of advantages. But I think also for a lot of people, it makes it quite hard to switch off. Uh, it's a very, uh, um, you know, involved industry. It's 24 hours a day. People always want you, especially if you're the general manager. Like, if something's gone wrong, where's the general manager? Yeah. So it's, um, I, I luckily never had it. I mean, I need to be careful what I say, but I, I was always able to switch off very easily. So the moment I, I kind of walked into the apartment and took off my time, um, I how, really... So hang on, how, how, how is that so? Do you meditate? I know that you're a runner and a swimmer. Yeah, no, I just always had this, um, not ability, I would call it, but uh, I just always find it, found it very easy on my days yeah. off. Even when you leave the apartment, you have to walk through the lobby, you know, if you want to go out or, you know, you could always go to the, the colleague entrance, but you would always meet your colleagues. And, and I never really found it difficult to kind of keep the two separate. Uh, but I know that, uh, you know, for a lot of general managers, it's not so easy and especially also for the families because you are under the spotlight continuously um another thing i think that that's important is that we actually kind of resist the temptation of you know living like a guest so we we really made sure that we did our own shopping we cooked our own food we cleaned you know and served the apartments ourselves and that kind of always kept a sense of normality for for yeah. the family Especially for the uh, children. For the children. And and we see it now that, you know, we live in London. We don't live in the hotel. Uh, the oldest is of the university. And it's it's really, in hindsight, it was the right decision um, because it allowed them to settle back into normal life yeah. very quickly, which which I know is, is not always the case. Have either of them gone into a career in hospitality? Uh, <laughs> oh, I... And maybe tongue in cheek, but I always warned them, you know, against it a little bit because it is, you know, long hours. And, um, although I love the industry, so know that it's um, it's not an easy industry um, to work in because you're always working with other people, kind of are often celebrating. But um, my daughter is studying high art at university, um, and she decided she wanted to earn some extra pocket money, so. She took a job in a restaurant, and now actually, she's uh, already uh, contemplating to spend a year or two, you know, working um, in the restaurant where she's working at the moment before she really starts her career. And um, and so we'll see, we'll see. It's uh, growing up, in, growing up in a five-star hotel. Surely, it's no yeah. surprise. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 kind of weird for for us because we went for dinner there over the weekend, and she was working. And I have to say, she's a natural. I would hire her. So um, who knows? You know, it's how I started my career. When I was studying, I um, I worked uh, part-time in a local restaurant and just got sucked into it. And, and where was that? 
Where was that? This was in Holland. This was in Holland, actually. It's uh, my parents used to uh, take us to the local pizzeria about once a month. And one night, uh, the um, the temp kind of called in sick, and uh, we'd finished our plate, and my parents kind of ready to pay the bill and leave. And the owner kind of sat down with a glass of wine and was complaining that um, that was so hard to find uh, to find anybody to work over the weekends. So my father my father volunteered me. He said, "Look, you know, why don't you keep him, and he'll help you close up." And that's how it all started, to be honest. And the rest you know, is like history. A, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And Torsten, having had so many years, in, and particularly in luxury hospitality, how's the yeah. profile of the luxury traveller changing before your eyes sitting, you know, in Knightsbridge where you are? Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I I don't think it's ever really fundamentally changed or changing. Um, I think people still, you know, enjoy, I always call it good old-fashioned hospitality. Um People, you know, I think it's important that they welcome, that people are recognized by name, uh, that we recognize, you know, uh, people's differences, that we remember their preferences. Um, and so that service element, um, and although I wasn't around 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and, you know, hopefully I'm not going to be working, um, you know, 25, 50 years from now, but I'm convinced, I'm convinced that that will never change. Um, and it's not just in five-star deluxe uh, hospitality. I think, you know, whether you go into your local restaurant um, or you go even into a shop or any service-oriented uh, industry, that personal touch, that heart-to-heart, um, I think is what really defines hospitality. Now, of course, there are, then there's a lot of changes that happen around it. Um, I always joke when I say to people when, when we read, for example, Mystery Shopper Report, and said, if you take away the year and you change, you know, the car arrival for horse and carriage and you change the electronics key system for a normal key and the credit card for cash, you know, this report could be written any given time. All that changes, I think, is the technology and the design. Um, now, there are some changes, I think, that are really contemporary or present and that's more to do with people's need to switch off you know to have quiet me time um i think the the, the health aspect you know what, what, uh, how well people sleep the food they eat exercise and of course sustainability and people you know really care about the impact that a hotel has uh, well, tell me why and and how did you end up, you know, at the Mandarin Oriental in this incredible role as yeah. you know, head of group sustainability? Why yeah. why that role and what's the direction for Mandarin Oriental? Um, I think the most important thing is that we didn't want to create a sustainability department that would just fire off memos and send instructions to the hotels and you know, something that was very top down, very centralized. I think we always believe that sustainability is something that really comes more naturally from from the grassroots um, at, at hotel level. Um, something that people are passionate about, you know, a culture. And so uh, rather than creating a role that's it's incorporated all this, uh, when I discussed it with, with our CEO, Mr. Mr. Riley, we really felt that having someone who 
operationally embedded, um, who really understands understood the culture well, um, was probably much more appropriate. And you know, I've been with the company since 1996. Um, I've worked over three continents, most types of properties, right? Whether it's resorts, city hotels, large hotels, small hotels, you know, 100% owned managed hotels. So I brought a lot of operational experience um, with me and, and a huge passion for sustainability. So the idea was to see if we could create a role where I would provide the leadership and the guidance um, to the hotels. Um, and of course, I have, you know, a department in corporate office, people who assist me because there is invariably a lot of legislation and paperwork and, and other things that need to be done. But at the same time, somebody who could speak to general managers and to hotels who kind of understood how we can embed this and, and make it part of everything we do. Um, you know, from our guest service to uh, the way we maintain our hotels to anything really uh, that we touch. And so far, it's, it's working extremely well. I, I took on this role at the start of the year. Uh, the response of, you know, uh, the other gentlemen in the hotels uh, is being um, very, very positive. You know, I, I think it's, 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 it's the right direction. And how, how do you see, you know, including sustainability, luxury hotels changing and luxury travel changing into the future? Yeah. Um, I think when, when people now come to a city, we really have a responsibility to help people make sense of the city. Maybe 10, 20 years ago, if I look, for example, at the concierge department, the most challenging thing for them really was to get this, you know, final table on a Friday night in the hottest three-star Michelin restaurant in town. And whilst that's still the case, and while it's still important that you know we we provide our guests access to those things, I think it's also important that we help them understand our city. Um, and really, by getting to know our guests and understanding what they enjoy, their needs, and what they're looking for, have you know a range of, of options available to them where we can say, look, you know, have you considered X, Y, Z? Um, and build a whole experience uh, around that. And I, I personally think that personalization, which is really what you're talking about, really is the future of luxury. You know, I was reading um, someone for Virtuoso talking about it and saying they had guests who, or, who came to a hotel in Paris and ordinarily they would be presented with a bottle of champagne in their suite, but they don't yeah. drink. And the woman yeah. loves milk. So for her, yeah. having ice, you know, milk on ice was the yeah. champagne. And giving that, yeah. you know, personalized service which might be something that you or i might not like at all but someone else's their favorite thing is what real luxury is about yeah yeah and and i think it's it's really um ensuring that the team are empowered um able trained to kind of make those decisions through interacting with the guest um because you know it's, it's i always joke a little bit that um because when i travel around the group uh, you know, it, it may be that I go down to a restaurant and it's the season for fresh orange juice and I have French orange juice and I, I mentioned to the waiter or the restaurant, you know, there was really incredible orange juice, it's so nice. The risk then at every single stay, as you go into every Mandarin Oriental hotel or any, you know, uh, hotel to, to have orange juice in your room, orange juice on arrival at any restaurant you go is, 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 you know, that's not personalization for me at the end of the day, because fundamentally, 
what I enjoyed is that at that point in time, in that country, oranges were in season, and therefore the orange juice was probably the best that I tasted. But it might actually mean that three months later, where I go to another part of the world and something else is in season, and you can only have it when you're there at that time of the year and it tastes better than you know, anywhere else in the world. Torsten, I could talk to you all day, but unfortunately we haven't got the time. But before yeah. we go, can I ask you where to from here for you? Here. Um, <laughs> what are you doing today? It, yeah, this is really, and you know, I always realize when I say it, it almost sounds made up. But my first job in this industry um, 30, 34 years ago was in this hotel um, when I came from the Finnish university. You know, I partied for about a week, packed my bags and came to London and, and started in this hotel. Um, and I always had this dream that I would come back one day and be the general manager. I kind of really feel that I am where I, I, I want to be, where I need to be, um, and don't really see anything beyond um, this hotel. We have an incredible opportunity over the next, you know, five, ten years to continue to build on the reputation of, of Manorenta High Park. Um, I think London, coming back after so many years, I realized that, or in my opinion, at least London is the capital of the world. Um, if I look just at the diversity in terms of the number of restaurants, the quality, uh, the quality of the competition, you know, we've got a, a number of wonderful new hotels opening in London next year, uh, yeah. which I think further add to the appeal of the city. So yeah, I just definitely. really look forward to, to yeah, and I know we weren't going to talk about the pandemic, but getting out of the pandemic um, and really have, you know, a sustained run at seeing London, you know, busy again. Um, there's so many people that want to come back, that want to travel. I think it's a very exciting time for the city, for the country, for our hotel. We're opening a second hotel in yes. Mayfair next year. Uh, which I think I'm also overseeing. That's that's very exciting. And there's, you know... How many rooms? Just just tell us something about that hotel. How big is it? How many rooms? So it's uh, 50 rooms and um, 80 residences. So it's it's a um, boutique hotel in, in Mayfair. I think it's just the perfect place for uh, Minden Orient to open the second hotel. It has a, a world-class spa and a 25 meter underwater swimming pool. Um, on the water, on indoor underground swimming pool, um, and some wonderful food and beverage features. It will have a, a rooftop terrace as well, and um, and I think it's going to do really well. I think it really uh, fits in the portfolio of the group, not just here in London, but Man Orient does these this size of hotel really, really well. I think I saw. What street? What street is uh, it? In? It's in Hanover Square, which is oh, actually. Beautiful. Funny enough, the oldest square in London, it's where London actually started, it's where the, the touchstone of London is, is right there. And Hanover Square has been given a, a facelift uh, recently. So we're looking forward to that. Um, Fantastic. But, uh, but, you know, there's, there's rumors that that might not be the last um, venture uh, here in London and in the UK. So again, there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow the brand. Um, and the same with sustainability, there's still a lot uh, of things that that we can work on in the group and and add to uh, to everything we're doing already. Fantastic. So that's um, what's next. It's um, London. It's sustainability and um, and just really looking forward to an exciting next couple of years. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's wonderful to talk with you. Say hello to Knightsbridge for me. <laughs> Will do. And I hope to meet Will you in person next time I'm in London, Torsten. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you Fantastic. very much. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank Bye you. now. Don't forget to subscribe here and follow us on Instagram and Facebook for regular travel updates. You can also hear our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.